Now what does the Bible say about the Lord Jesus? The resurrection is probably the greatest of all miracles, maybe after the miracle of creation itself. Only God has the power of life and death. Only God. There are so many in the world today that um, they look at, at Christians, born again, real honest Christians, not people who call themselves Christians, not people who think they're Christians because they go to a, a church, but people who are definitely born again and there's a change in their lives. And they shake their heads at us. And they say, oh, you're just fooling yourself. There's no such thing. And Jesus never existed. And even if he did, he didn't rise from the, the grave. No man can. As if they're some kind of expert. And yet they have no explanation for the change in our lives. For the joy, the peace, the knowledge that one day we'll be with Jesus. No other world religion has what we have. You know, the Bible is very clear. There's one God. One God. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Well, today is the day we call Good Friday. And it's the, uh, the day that we remember the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. And you know something? It's still just a wonder to me that Almighty God would leave His glory and His splendor, lay aside His regal robes, come and be born into this sinful world and make no uh, doubt about it. The world was sinful 2,000 years ago as it is sinful today. And um, back then, every imagination of man's evil heart was performed. In the perfect wisdom and timing of God, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He didn't come yesterday. But even 2,000 years ago, what He did for us is still just as good today. The blood He shed is just as efficacious. The atonement He made for us on the cross is just as powerful, just as good today as it ever was. And the Lord is still calling lost men and women to salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. No other way. So true. Well, I thought it might be a good idea if for a little bit this morning we would take a look at this question of the, um, the death, burial, and resurrection, particularly the resurrection. What good is it? Now, the world would ask that question. So what? What's good about it? What's good about Good Friday? What's good about Resurrection Sunday? Hasn't helped me. The world is just as bad off. So what good is it? Well, we'd like to try and answer that if we can this morning. First, let's pray, okay? Our Father, once again, we humble ourselves before you and we give thanks for what you did for us. Now, we weren't there 2,000 years ago and probably just as well. In your wisdom, you had us born in, in the, this late age, in these days, and here we get to live our lives 
for you or for ourselves, but we get to live our lives. Lord, I pray that you would please speak with our hearts about this matter of the death, burial, and resurrection, and particularly the resurrection, and help us to see exactly what good it is. So have thine own way, Lord, in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why is it we get so excited over the resurrection of Jesus? Christians have gotten excited for 2,000 years now. We don't know how many more years before Jesus comes for us. But you know, even in the tribulation, yet to come, it's not here now. We think it's right on the doorstep. The way the world is going, looking at what's happening, nation rising against nation, and all of the world powers are rattling their sabers, getting ready as if for another third world war or something. So we don't know how long till Jesus comes, and it could be pretty soon, but even in the tribulation, which follows the, the, the rapture, when Jesus comes in the clouds and takes us home, seven years of tribulation, and during those days, people who get saved will also rejoice at the resurrection. They'll just wish they had done it sooner. When the light bulb goes on for so many men and women in the seven years tribulation, they'll say, why didn't I do this sooner? I could have been with Jesus now. And I think whole families will be getting saved and they'll rejoice, but they'll weep. We should have done this before, sooner, when our neighbors who attended Grace Baptist Church invited us. When we opened the door and looked in the mailbox and there was a little gospel invitation from Grace Baptist Church. And we tore it up. Or we set it aside and we never could find it. Why? Why, oh why? But they'll be rejoicing still about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what good is it? Why do Christians get all excited about it? Well, take a Bible, please. There should be a Bible there around in the pew, or maybe you brought your own, and go to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And I'd like to show you something about the resurrection. You say, you want to show us about the resurrection, and we go to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Well, that's a strange place to turn to, and it is 2 Samuel, chapter number, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel. Did I say 2? 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. I want to show you the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is God. Not a God. Not one of many. There is one God eternally existent in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the three are one. One God, and yet eternally existent in three persons. Now you might scratch your head and say, how is that possible? Listen, God lives in a whole other dimension than we do. God knows things and can do things we can't possibly even begin to understand. And God is revealed to us in the Bible. He is one God. And yet at the same time, He's three separate persons within that one God. We do not worship three different gods. We worship one God. Eternally existent in three separate persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and let's see, verse number 6. I'd like you to read it out loud. Help me out here, folks watching online. You read it with us, please. Verse number 6. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. And I want you to notice that only God has the power 
Only God has this kind of power. Now what does the Bible say about the Lord Jesus? The resurrection is probably the greatest of all miracles, maybe after the miracle of creation itself. Only God has the power of life and death. Only God. Concerning his own physical life, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 18, No man taketh it from me, meaning his physical life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And then listen to what he said. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So according to what we've just read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, only God can do that. So what does that make Jesus? God. It proves that He is God. Anyone who has this kind of power deserves our obedience, our worship. Jesus is that one. Because we know He is God. We are not ashamed to be known as His followers. Why would you be ashamed when you're following the best? Listen, if you own stocks and bonds in the greatest company in the world and the shares were always going up, up, up and the dividends were always coming in, coming in, why would you be ashamed to say that you hold stock in that company? Why, you'd hold your head high, wouldn't you? And you'd say proudly, look what I own. We serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. There's no reason on earth why any of us should be ashamed to be named as one of Christ's own. So make sure that you're not ashamed to let others know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So the first reason as to what's so great about the resurrection, well, it proves that Jesus is God. Number two, And we're going to go back to the book of Genesis for this one. Genesis chapter 3. But I want you to see a very important truth. And it's because of the resurrection. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Genesis 3 and 15. This, This is right after the fall of man. Adam and Eve have sinned. And God came to them. And said these words. Now read it out loud please. Verse number 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. And here now the Lord is talking about Satan. Who was in the person of the serpent. And Eve in particular. Adam and Eve if you will. And the enmity that was put there. But you'll notice the promise of God. At the end, it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. A bruise to the heel would be a wound, but a wound that you can heal from. Pardon the pun. A bruise to the head would be a deadly wound that you could not, you could not recover from. And here, this verse is a reference to the coming Savior. The coming Savior, Jesus. Now there's a number of reasons for that. Why this refers to Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to look at it all today. But this verse 15 refers to Jesus Christ and Satan. And it says, it shall bruise thy head. Jesus delivers a death blow to Satan. And thou shalt bruise his heel. 
is a mortal blow to Jesus, but he rose from the dead. The point is, Satan is a defeated foe. That's the glory of the resurrection. Because Satan, our enemy, is now a defeated foe. His power over you and me have been broke, has been broken. He's defeated foe because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Satan is no longer in control of our hearts and minds. Now those of you who've grown up in a bit of a sinful life and then you got saved, you know, you know that, that feeling of being set free from the bondage of sin. Some of you maybe had a, a problem with foul language and you would take the Lord's name in vain. And after you got saved, the name of Jesus was so precious you didn't want to do that again and it would hurt you when you heard others do it. And you were ashamed when you thought you used to do it. And maybe there were some other things you used to be involved with. And then the Lord set you free. Because Satan's chains on you have been broken. If any of us are still in some kind of bondage to Satan now, I mean any of us who are saved and we think we feel that we're in some kind of bondage to Satan, it's only because we haven't woke up to the truth yet that he's a defeated foe. We still sometimes think that, oh, he's more powerful, I, I have to obey him. We don't, folks. They say that when uh, they train elephants to stand still, like at the circus, you know, these great big elephants, just about half the size of the room, you know, great big, big things, and they weigh thousands, thousands and thousands of pounds. And what they do is they put a little chain around their foot and they tie the chain or the rope sometimes to a, uh, a peg and they drive that in the ground. Now, a fully grown elephant can yank that thing out like breaking a toothpick. I mean, that's so easy. But the thing is, they start when the elephant is just small. Small little elephant. They tie the rope around or put a little chain around, put it to a peg, and the, the little baby elephant isn't strong enough to pull that out. Oh, he tries and tries and tries, but he can't do it. And then as the elephant grows, they use the same rope, the same chain. And the elephant thinks, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And so now as an adult elephant, able to yank that thing out, able to mow down probably all the tents in the circus, it doesn't go anywhere because it thinks it can't. And sometimes that's what the devil has on us. We think we can't when really we can. His power is broken. You're able just to yank that thing out and be free. But the glorious truth is that Satan's a defeated foe. Jesus said in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And one day, God is going to cast Satan into the lake of fire. That's going to happen. Revelation 20, 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Hallelujah. That's going to happen one day. Number three, the third reason. What good is the resurrection? Well, it proves Jesus Christ is God. Number two, it means Satan's a defeated foe. Number three, and I got ahead of myself a wee bit, but Satan's bondage is broken. And we want to see this for ourselves. So let's go to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, and chapter number 6. 
Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6, verse number 11. I'd like you to read that with me, please. Romans 6, 11. Let's read it together. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, likewise we need to reckon to account our lives as dead to the world, dead to sin, and raised to new life and power and glory and newness in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah for the resurrection. Because we're no longer powerless slaves when it comes to sin and bad habits. The resurrection has solved that problem for us. It has broken Satan's incredible power that he has on our lives. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is power in the resurrection. It was John Wesley, sorry, Charles Wesley, John's brother, who wrote, um, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Don't you just love that? I'll tell you, the modern rock and pop songs, you know, off the wall kind of stuff in the modern churches today, they got nothing on the hymns like that. These fuzzy, happy, you know, uh, get feely, touchy kind of things. I tell you, they're from outer space. That's alien kind of stuff. And the, the language of, of the saints of heaven is, is in the hymns. And so sin's bondage has been broken. It doesn't stop there. What good is the resurrection? It proves Jesus is God. Number two, it, it shows us that Satan is a defeated foe. Number three, uh, it assures us that sin's bondage has been broken. Number four, we have a new life. We have a new life. Now, you're in chapter 6 of Romans. Look, please, at verse number 4. And read it out loud with me, please. Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And when Christ rose from the dead, he rose never to die again. He died for sin once. And then he rose from that. And this world had nothing on him. Satan could never tempt him again. Likewise, we are to live in this newness of life. We got new life. Do you remember when you got saved? Now, if you got saved when you were just very young, don't despise that. Don't think, oh, I was, you know, six years old when I got saved, seven years old. I was never a drunkard or a wife beater, and so I didn't have this big change in my life. Well, listen, my friend, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord you didn't have to go through some of that garbage because that garbage leaves stains, spots, scars on your soul, on your mind, sometimes for the rest of your natural. And you're always trying to beat off these little demons, so to speak. And so if you were raised in a godly Christian home with a godly mommy and daddy and you learned the gospel at a young age, 
and you got saved as a youngster. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. That's, that's the way it ought to be for all of us, you know, for all of us. It ought to be that way. But we have a new life. In Ephesians 2.5, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If ye then being risen, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. It's because of the resurrection that we can become members of God's own family. That means a whole new exciting way to live. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? You know, if somehow you were adopted into Queen Elizabeth's family. Now, she's had some trouble with her family. You all know that. Yeah, the whole world knows that. Imagine being part of that family. Everything you do is made front page news all over the world. That's, that's pretty, pretty rough. But supposing you were adopted into Queen Elizabeth's family. She chose you. I'm choosing you to be my son or my daughter. From now on, you'll be known as prince or princess. And you're thinking, oh, wow. Well, I tell you, you couldn't stay living where you're living. You couldn't stay doing what you're doing. If all of a sudden you were a royal, your life would change, wouldn't it? You'd have to go live in the palace. Imagine that. You'd have to start behaving like a prince or a princess, wouldn't you? You'd have to start living the part. We who are born again and saved were made part of God's family. We're sons and daughters of Almighty God. And we have a new life in front of us. And we're supposed to live that life. Now I'm going to come back to this point at the end of the message. And I want you to keep this in mind. But it's very important for us here that we learn to live the new life. And we have a brand new life. You know, you can say to an unsaved person, are you happy with your life? A lot of them will say no. Can, then you can say, can you imagine having a brand new life, a brand new start, a brand new beginning? Is that something you're interested in? And a lot of unsaved people would say, yeah, if only, if only I could have a brand new start. Now, some of you here today have experienced that in a fashion coming from one country to this country. This country may not be the wealthiest country. It may not be the most powerful country, but it's a pretty good country, I'll tell you that. And to come from one country to this country may feel like a brand new start. 23 years ago, my wife and I, we uh, left our life behind in Ontario and we came here to British Columbia. And for us, it felt like a brand new start. A brand new life, that's what it felt like. Isn't that interesting? How moving 3,000 miles or 12,000 miles can give you that sensation of a brand new start. Interesting. Being born again puts us into God's family. And there ought to be changes. There ought to be differences. <clears throat> if you're here today and you say, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I asked Jesus into my heart. And we start examining your life. And we say, well, you used to use bad language. Hmm, you still do. Well, you used to take the Lord's name in vain. Well, what do you know? You still do. You used to have dirty thoughts. Well, what do you know? You still do. You used to do dirty things, vile, wicked things. Well, what do you know? You still do. So what's the difference? Where's the brand new life? Jesus rose, hallelujah, 
And everyone who's born again has been given a brand new life. We need to live it. We need to enter in and to live it. So because of the resurrection, we have a new relationship with God. We have new brothers and sisters in the Lord. We should have new desires to live a good life. John W. Peterson, a great hymn writer, wrote, New life in Christ, abundant and free. What glories shine, what joys are mine, what wondrous blessings I see. My past with its sin, the searching and strife forever gone. There's a bright new dawn, for in Christ I have found new life. You got to love it. But it doesn't stop there. What good is the resurrection? Proves Jesus is God. It shows us that Satan's a defeated foe. It shows us also that sin's power has been broken. It shows us also we have a brand new life. But number five, death is no longer a threat. No longer a threat. Turn to the right, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll get you to read with me one verse. Verse number 55, 1 Corinthians. You guys don't have a Bible? No? Ah. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Please read it out loud. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You know, death, the thoughts of death and dying, have loomed dark and foreboding shadows over the horizons of people's lives, over humanity for thousands of years, the grim reaper and his chilling hand of death have struck fear into millions of people on earth. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed all of that. Jesus has conquered death. I've been to a lot of funerals over the last 47 years. Many of them I've conducted that there is a tremendous difference between the funeral of someone who's born again and saved and the funeral of someone who's lost. There is a tremendous difference like night and day. And I can tell you that from personal experience, but I think the Bible tells us that as well. All that death can do for us now as born-again Christians is put us in the presence of Jesus. That's all that death can do. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I know the moment I leave my body, I'm going to be with Jesus. Before I became a Christian, when I was a child, a boy, and into my teenage years, death used to frighten me. And I would never want to think about it. And I'd change the subject. And then I thought I was getting smart in my teenage years. And I said, oh, well, there's no such thing as life after death. When you die, you die like a dog. But I was just fooling myself. I didn't even believe that myself. But I said that more as a pacifier so that I wouldn't be so frightened to think about death. But after I received Christ as my Savior, no more fear of death. You say, Pastor, you ready to die? I think I'm ready to die. I have nothing to be afraid of. But I'll tell you, if I had the choice, it's a tough choice, but I think I'd rather stick around and get more work done for Jesus, to be honest with you. I'd rather serve him some more. But if the Lord says, come home, my child, it is time, I'm ready. I'm ready. My bags have been packed for a long time. I'm ready. Death does not have any hold on me. It used to. 
but it doesn't anymore. So many people in this world, death is just like a horrible chilling hand. They, they shudder and they change the subject. In Christ, that's taken away. So what good is the resurrection? Man, I'll tell you, it's pretty good. It proves Jesus is God. It shows us Satan's a defeated foe. Shows us his bondage on, a, on our lives and all that sin business and stuff. That's broken. It shows us we got new life. A brand new life. It assures us of life after death. We have nothing to fear. The chains have been broken. And number six. We have a special future. Now I'd like you to turn back to the Gospel of John. And chapter number 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Maybe you guys could share a Bible between a couple of you there. We got uh, three or four guys here without Bibles. So kind of share a little bit there. There we go. So everyone can read. Now you guys can read out loud with us. All right. John chapter 14, verse 2. Read it together with me, please. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has conquered every foe. There are no more foes to conquer. The last foe to be conquered was death, and Jesus did that. Nothing can destroy our future. Our future is absolutely sure. Jesus promised us here a home in heaven. That's good news, folks. In John chapter 10, 28, Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Imagine that. And some Christians say, Oh, wait a minute, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I think I could somehow backslide and reject Christ and end up in hell. Well, then that means you'd perish. That's right. Well, then you're calling Jesus a liar. What? Yes, you are, because Jesus said here that if you're saved, if you receive him, if you receive eternal life, you shall never perish. Oh, I never thought about that. Truth is, the Lord knows what he's doing. When we receive Christ, when we get born again, we receive eternal life and we shall never perish. Someone says, but, 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 but. That's a license to sin, isn't it? No, it's not a license to sin. Sin is never given to us as a, as a ticket or a license or a coupon or something. No way. Sin is always nasty business and we always end up paying for sin. Sin always has a price tag. Of course, unsaved people, they have the biggest price tag to pay because they got no one to pay for their sin. We who have received Christ, Christ made the payment for our sin for us. So we'll never perish in hell. It's all been looked after. But the human heart is deceptive. No matter on which side of salvation you find yourself, the human heart is deceptive and Satan is even more deceptive. But truth be known, our eternal destiny is secure. Once Christ is in our heart and life, we have been given eternal life. We shall never perish. 
There's a mansion waiting for us. We've got the brightest of futures. In Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39, Paul wrote, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote these words, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. How should all this affect our lives? If you're not born again, if you're not part of God's family through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, if Christ is not in your heart, you need to be saved. You need to receive Jesus Christ ASAP as soon as possible. You need to receive Jesus Christ. If you have received Jesus Christ, Christ is in your heart. How does all this apply to your life? Listen very carefully. Leave the tomb. Walk away from the tomb. Leave it behind you as Christ rose from the dead and he left the tomb behind him. Likewise, you and I should leave the tomb of this world and the things of this world behind us. We should leave in the past and leave behind us the anger and frustrations and the bitterness and the jealousies and the family feuds and quarrels and the lusts for the things of this world. That's all part of the tomb. We need to live in newness of life. And as Jesus came forth out of the tomb, you and I should leave the tomb behind us as well. Pray with me now, please. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.